to get a job, got 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 to get a proper job, got to get a 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 proper job, got to get a 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 job, got to got to get a proper job. I've got one! Hello, I'm Ollie Double. I'm a lecturer at the University of Kent, and this is the Proper Job Gradcast, in which we explore how a degree in drama can lead to all kinds of exciting careers in the arts. Now, I'm recording this in June. In fact, it's the last week of the academic year, and I know, because I've talked to some of them, that our finalists, our final year students, are about to go out there into the world and make their fortune. You know, go out there and find the career that they want to have. Many of them will be looking for a career in the arts, but that's quite a scary thing. I know because I've been through it myself, albeit decades ago, literally decades ago now. But I still remember it. I still remember the feeling of insecurity of having been in an environment where all my sort of social circle and my everything I had to do was sort of prescribed and provided for me by a university and suddenly you're outside of an institution and you've got to think well what do I want to do one two how do I you know do that as a career and get somebody to pay me for doing that and that insecurity that fear that that fear of that that moment of change in life is a difficult one to tackle so wouldn't it be interesting then and wouldn't it be useful to listen to people who've been in that position and have found their way to a job that they enjoy and that fulfills them working in the arts. Well, that's what this podcast is. So it's going to be interesting to you if you're currently studying drama at Kent, whether or not you're just about to graduate, because you'll always be thinking about what you're going to do afterwards. Or maybe you're not even at Kent yet. Maybe you're just thinking about applying to study drama at Kent and you're worried, well, will I get a job afterwards? Answer, yes. And this podcast will help you by making you think about what you want to do and also giving you tips about how to find creative work in the arts. But, you know, podcasts are quite popular nowadays. Probably the most common form of podcast is an interview podcast. That's what this is. And uh, I think people like listening to conversations and, and the conversations of this podcast are really interesting. So if you're interested in things, this podcast will interest you. In each episode, I interview a Kent drama graduate work in the arts. And this time I'm talking to Ben Haig, who is head of client services at Sign Digital. I think this is our first one where I'm talking to somebody who's working in marketing uh, of the arts. And that's a big area. There's lots of work there. And, uh, and it's really interesting hearing what Ben has to say, not just about how what he did at university helped him in his current job or how he got from graduating at Kent to where he is now, but also he talks about what it is to market a theatre show in the 21st century. He's really fun to talk to, in my opinion, and I think you'll find him fun to listen to. So without further ado, here is Ben Haig. Hello, Ollie. I'm Ben Haig, and I graduated from Kent Uni in 2013. Wow. Uh, okay. So, next question: What's your current job, and what kind of things does it entail? My current role is head of client services at Sign Digital. We are a digital performance marketing agency who specialise in entertainment primarily, but we also branch out into brands and e-commerce as well. We're basically the annoying people behind Facebook ads and um, 
those ads that you see on the sidebar of shame um, kind of telling you to buy things. And usually it's a, you know, a product or a production like um, a show in the West End or around the globe. Um, but we, we follow you and um, use all of our kind of data and intel to make sure that we are kind of targeting you with the correct ads as to what you we think you will want to watch. <laughs> Great stuff. So it's, it's, um, I mean, this podcast is about, you know, uh, Kent drama grads that go out and work in, in creative jobs. And actually you're the, I think the first sort of marketing person that we've, we've had on the podcast, but, but I mean, looking at the, uh, sign digital, uh, website, it's, it's very cool and funky, uh, <laughs> for a start. I mean, it looks great. And then we're kind of, yeah, where the, we are the kind of like lucky ones that get to be a little bit nerdy, but also be quite creative because it's all about, you know, the sales driver behind the show. And it's not actually what the, the show looks like once it's on stage. It's what people are expecting it to look like to buy, to make them buy a ticket. So we kind of have the fun job of making them think this, is this the world that I want to be in? Um, before they actually part with their cash. <laughs> well, there's a couple of things that are really interesting about that, aren't there? Because first of all, without marketing, then theatre and live performance or, or anything can't really work. You, you've got to get bums on seats in, or, in order to pay for it to happen, right? Absolutely. Yeah, totally. But also I'm really interested in, in, in uh, the way you describe that. It's really fascinating. So, the, so the, the, there's what it looks like on stage and then there's what you, the image, the visual image you want to create to get the people on those bombs and seats to then see what it's like on stage. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So kind of making that world before you even get into the theatre. And then for us, it's all about looking at the data and who then people are who are converting and buying tickets um, so that the producer or the production kind of know what their audience is going to be like before they've, they're in the auditorium. That's really interesting. So you you are you, you, there's a kind of really nerdy side to what you do. There's a technical side to it. Yeah. Yeah. How yeah, did yeah. you acquire but... that set of skills? As a drama <laughs> grad, <mean>. right? <laughs> As a drama grad. <laughs> to be honest, it's it, it is definitely from my days at, at uni and kind of, you know, the extracurricular side of things where we were putting on shows and trying to work out whether this was right for, you know, not just students but the city of Canterbury, whether that show would, you know, sell tickets. Um, but also being able to add that creative element onto your job without actually having to be on stage, which is something that I personally didn't, I never wanted to go to university to do a drama course to, to be an actor. I wanted to work in theatre and be creative, but not particularly, you know, be on in the spotlight, um, but use my creative kind of, you know, elements and skills to create art I suppose that sounds very very pretentious but um but yeah to kind of be, be a part of that world but not not actually yeah be on, in the spotlight I suppose not, not in the shop window as it were yes <laughs> uh yeah no that's really interesting and, and I have to say you know it's it's all for throughout all my time at Kent there have always been students that I've known who are more interested in other you know backstage stuff and there's so much of that kind of work as well yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what drew me to the course, just knowing that there wasn't a, you know, that that one size fits all. You you go to that that uni and you become an actor or you go to that uni and you become a musical theatre actor. You, you kind of go to Kent and you can work in theatre or you can work in a creative element of a job because you've you've gained them skills from, you know, whatever kind of module you choose to 
or route you choose to go down with the modules that you you get to tailor fantastic and i can't i can't the nerd in me can't let this pass this interesting fact that you one of the shows you're currently working on the marketing of is doctor who time fracture yes yeah it's a new one so it's a it's yeah an amazing show it's an immersive show in the center of london it's a completely it's actually an old army barracks that's been completely converted into i think there's four floors overall or three floors but multiple rooms of every doctor every time fracture you you were you're thrown from you know country to country and time element to it's just it's amazing there are daleks and there you know there's there's everything that you would expect um it's amazing and i'm i know that i know that you're a doctor who fan i wasn't a doctor who fan but i've and i've seen it now and i'm like oh my god i you already know what it's about you you're in it you you get thrown into the world in the first two seconds and yeah it's two hours of just pure doctor who bliss to be honest and it's it's you have a di- each person has a different experience because it's like there's different plate yeah, places it, where it sort of diverges right i mean i kind of don't want to say this but it, it is it's slightly like punch drunk if you've ever been to a punch drunk event where every yeah. single time that you experience like every single person that walks through that door will have a different experience purely because they even if they miss two seconds of it they'll they'll have a different you know kind of story to tell compared to their best mate that was probably stood next to them but looking at a different different wall at that one point it's it's very intelligently done and what i love about your job from what just from what you've been telling me just now is that it's a bit of a it's got a bit of a kind of i'm with the band element you know in other words you you get to experience the show without having to be the band you you get to sort of so you're working on doctor time fracture so that allows you to go and see it and experience it absolutely absolutely um what we kind of say you know where we are a marketing agency but we kind of say with the producers that we kind of sit in the office with them basically where we're with them every step of the way so from when they're realizing what the show might be or who their audience might be going forward we're kind of there looking at the numbers looking at the data but also kind of you know, we're the ones in the room that say, I don't think this copy is working. So maybe change this. And that's how you're, you know, selling the show or that artwork does not represent your show whatsoever. Therefore, you're kind of, you know, misselling a product. Um, or this this photo is way too male heavy. <laughs> let's let's switch it up. You know, every, every element that's in the creative process before it gets on stage is where in the room and able to make them decisions with, with the producers who, you know, are obviously forking out sometimes millions of pounds to get the show up and running. Because it's interesting, isn't it? Because, like, presumably this kind of work that you do is really different from what it would have been, let's let's say, 30 years ago. Because, you know, I mean, I know that when we used to, I mean, it's not the same thing, but I used to run comedy in Sheffield in the 90s. And it was just, it was just a, a sort of weekly club or a couple of weekly clubs out, out of a pub, you know. Um, but we used to do things like print stuff. We used to get people to deliver leaflets through doors. We used to make a mailing list, which basically let uh, people had to sign a thing and then you just kept it somewhere on a Word document, that kind of thing. Uh, and and print, you know, like put, put um, uh, posters up in shops. Now, that was obviously a completely different scale from what you're working on anyway, but still... The, the whole what you're talking about targeting people and using social yeah. media 
all of that stuff is is a, it's just a completely different game and presumably you really need to get the audience psychology absolutely i mean the fortunate thing with about 50% of what our kind of sales driver is is actually facebook and you know facebook wasn't around 17 years ago and facebook now if you have a facebook profile they've got 70,000 data points on you so we can tap into you, you don't even need many data points to know that they're a theatre buff or if they like Doctor Who uh, or if they live in London or somewhere else in the UK or abroad and that they're over 18 so therefore they probably have a credit card or a student loan you, you know so all of them all of that helps us kind of whittle it down into this is kind of your target market and let's spend some money to get them people in rather than like you say putting a poster up in a, a news agents and Kind of for the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so actually, you mentioned Facebook there. Uh, quick question, really out of interest. What about Instagram? Because isn't that the popular choice for younger people? Yeah, t- totally. There, um, it's quite interesting since COVID kind of hit. There has been a shift in age demographics and people living in, on social media. So it's definitely becoming an older audience. Um, slowly but surely and obviously new new platforms like TikTok have come into play um, but even even TikTok isn't just primarily for 18 year olds or below it's um, it's a completely cross-generational tool but yes definitely the kind of basic is that Facebook is slightly an older demographic and Instagram is definitely a little bit younger and a bit more hip and I mean they're both owned by by Facebook, so you can you can use the data across everything to find out who them people are and how to target them and with what kind of asset, I suppose. So whether it's video, whether it's a, a poster, whether it's a, a headshot of the actor because they're a famous person, or whether it's just some words saying this show is on book, <laughs> you know, like Doctor Who, the the title speaks for itself. Whereas something like six the musical which i also work on when it first started no one knew what six was and we had to kind of unfold that story into this is six the six wives of henry the eighth that you know they are actually based now on these six female pop stars in each song is you know and we had to unfold that story and three and a half years later it opens in canterbury today so (laughs) you know it's it's done really well as a as a tool. You can you know just sticking a poster and saying buy a ticket, which is and that's kind of what Facebook and Instagram do very well. Yeah, no, that's really that's that's super interesting because uh, yeah, presumably I mean with with something like Doctor Who, you've there's already a self defined community because there's fandom attached to it. Yeah. Whereas something that's a new thing which doesn't have that existing sort of brand, you've got to sort of manufacture that. You've got to kind of force grow that from nothing. Totally. And um, with what we do is it's all about kind of initially about prospecting audiences. So like with Doctor Who, it's going out to the Doctor Who fans, going out to the sci-fi fans, but then also looking at what other plays might have had a kind of sci-fi influence in it. And does that work? What other immersive shows are on at the moment? Can we find people who have maybe booked for that show that are already in that world of immersive shows? Because you know, that's a very different beast to a West End glitzy show. And it's a very different beast to a fringe show or a comedy stand up comedy night. You know, everyone kind of fits into a pillar quite nicely. But then there's lots of crossovers as well. 
This is this is absolutely fascinating, but I need to kind of get us back to the questions. <laughs> so question three, and you've already sort of alluded to this in various different ways, but how did you get, what was the journey of getting from where you graduated in 2013 to where you are now? You know, what were the points along the way? And so, so well, I kind of, when I graduated, I did a bit of a grad scheme straight after, which was in events. Um, it was actually wedding fairs and baby and toddler shows, but it was looking after the catwalk shows um, for those big event fairs and also the ticket sales element of the, the events as well. And that kind of led me in and I knew that I wanted to work in theatre. So I actually kind of, I moved straight to London and I threw myself in and joined a couple of theatres to work on their box office in front of a house just to get some contacts because as, as much as, you know, you can go around saying I've got a first at the University of Kent in drama, no one cared at that point unless they knew your name as well. So it was all about the hustle. It got you in, but it didn't get you quite in in because they didn't know you. So they had to just, you know, know your name. Um, so I definitely did the hustle for about a year and, and kind of worked my way through. And then I was really fortunate. Um, I had a friend who was producing a show and he said, is there any, any chance that you could help us out? with um, some of the marketing side of things. And I was like, absolutely. Ended up helping him out. And that led on to a job, which they were like, oh, it, it was a full interview process. I think there was four interviews. So, you know, I had to go through the full thing, but because they kind of had seen what I'd done before, I think that kind of helped. And from there, I, it was then with, I was with Cellador Theatre Company for um, nearly two years working in their marketing department and kind of it spiraled from there. We, we had um, American Idiot in the West End and we hired an external marketing agency purely because we were up in Edinburgh Fringe at the same time with 20 shows. So we were like, oh, we may as well get an agency in to do this one show. I loved what they did and ended up applying for a job there because they had a vacancy and just kind of got on with the team and thought, I think it's time for me to try something new. And moved on from there. And then five years later after that, I, unfortunately, the company that I was with closed because of COVID, but we were working with Sign Digital to do the digital element of the campaigns. And I ended up joining them because there was a vacancy there. So it was, it, I've been very fortunate. I've kind of filled a vacancy as it's gone along. Do you know what you say? You've been very fortunate, but I have to say, I think good work creates good fortune. Yes. You know, yes. there's a thing in Harry Potter. I am a nerd. I don't know if I've covered that earlier, but it, it, there's a thing in Harry Potter where quite one of the early books, I can't remember now, but he, he where he goes, oh, I don't know why Peter everybody keeps saying I'm amazing. Uh, you know, uh, you know, when we beat Voldemort that time, you did that thing, Ron, and when you did it, you did that thing, Hermione, blah blah blah, and they just took, look at him and go. Yeah, but we wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for you. You know, you were the person who galvanised us. And I think by the same token, you know, well, a couple of things I wanted to ask about, about what you just described, which was great, by the way. Uh, one, how did you find the grad scheme that you did with the, the wedding fairs and so on? How did you find that opportunity? It was actually through a friend who the year, two years before had graduated from Kent Uni and told me about it and said, I think, you know, I hear that you want to get into events and get into theatre and this is something that sounds right up your street. So ended up kind of 
following his his recommendation and applied for it and got it <laughs> all right so that that very nicely was leads, quite interesting <laughs> well that, that very nicely leads me to my next question which is one of the big things that comes up in this podcast but it comes up in very different ways is networking and yeah. I, I know that that's the sort of word that people get a bit scared of people think it sounds a bit sort of cynical and hard-faced but actually when you kind of even people who are slightly resistant to the term acknowledge that, well, you, you create this sort of social network of people that you know and that you can talk to. And because you know them, you hear about things and also they, they hear about you. And it's through those contacts. It's through just sort of thinking, well, who do I know? Who, who could I ask about this? Who could I ask for some advice? That kind of thing. And, and from what you've said, that was quite a big help in your journey oh, from Kent to now. I mean, not only did I get the grad scheme that he'd recommended, I ended up actually living with him in a flat in London for them six, well, for a year, actually. But for them six months that I was working there, I was also living with him because he, at, at that time, happened to have a spare room. So it was just, in, you know, it just so happened that it all kind of fit together. And actually, the flat that I first moved in, a girl who's also a graduate of Kent still lives there because she moved in after me, we kind of swapped rooms and she's still there, which is amazing. So yeah, it is absolutely, you know, networking, speaking to people, you know, you don't have to go around and give your cards out everywhere and, you know, go to every event under the sun and have to drink a lot of Prosecco. It's, it's all about kind of, you know, just, just choosing, oh, that person works there. Good. I'll remember that. And just in case, and I'll make sure, you know, I'll be on social media, but I'm not going to harass them and hound them at every given point. But I know that they work there. So if if I need to ask them a question, then maybe they might help me. And, you know, I know that they're a nice person and I'm a nice person. So hopefully that will work. You don't have to become that annoying person that's constantly knocking on doors because I think that has a, a negative effect, to be honest. Yeah, in other words, if you're hassling people the whole time, that can be they, they, that might just sort of make them go, I don't want to work with that person. Yeah, you're the annoying one that's always there. All right. So next question again, I think you've sort of you've definitely touched on this so far. But how did studying drama at Kent help you to get where you are now? Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, it I grew in confidence because I moved to a university. I'm from the north. I moved to a university in the south. Didn't know a single person. Um, but the actually, actually, when I did the walk around like six months prior to the course starting, so I, I did college and then I um, took a couple of years out before I went to university. So I already knew that I had the results from college to be able to go into into uh, the UCAS points already. Um, so that helped for, for me. So I did the walk around and actually it was Sean who walked me around and she was just so unbelievably open and ready for questions I felt like I'd been there for months already it was snowing it was she pointed it in the right direction towards the train station afterwards you know everything felt like I was there I was part of it this is I, I knew that I belonged there basically and from there I thought well my confidence grew definitely that certainly helped that certainly helped me in my later life um and just kind of the plethora of modules that you can choose from and that you can learn from it you're not just kind of tunnel visioned into one aspect of life 
every you know there was history involved there's politics so you, you everything you get to kind of open your brain a little bit and and learn more and then because it's not just a drama university there's absolutely every course under the sun I didn't live with anyone who did drama for the three years that I was there I was in um halls in the first year but no one on my in, in my section of the corridor did drama actually one girl on the same floor did and I'm I'm still friends with her now but Apart from that, I don't think anyone else did drama. And then the second and third year, I lived in a house and one girl studied anthropology, one, good, one, one girl studied English lit and one was history. So it was, you know, and then you learn more from there as well. And every, every like, basically you, you get a, a fully rounded aspect of what the world will be once you've left university, I think. And that certainly helps you on your, on your way to go afterwards. Yeah, I, you mentioned coming from the north. Where, whereabouts did you grow up then? I'm from Home Firth, which is where Last of the Summer Wine is filmed. <laughs> and it is it is a bit of a culture shock. Very, I don't know if you found the same, but I, I found it a bit of a culture shock moving to the southeast. I'd lived in the southwest before. Other than that, it was always the north and the midlands where I'd lived, and it it did feel quite different uh, living in this in the southeast. Oh, totally, yeah. Moving from a village to a city was quite the eye opener. But I think because you, um, Kent Uni is a campus that that kind of helped me on my way it was kind of a nice well a very nice stepping stone between village life to city life yeah is we're it- we're recording this in June and I've just been out to get my lunch at the World Food Festival on campus and it's <laughs> the sun's shining and it's yeah it's it's really beautiful when you, you know at this time of year I think and I know I know what you mean I went to a campus university when I left home and uh, there's there is something slightly villagey about a campus yeah well it's a community and you know I think I don't know whether it's still used then I'm going to show my age but we we cast it as canter bubble because it was a little bubble and, and, you know, you kind of live in this very safe haven, which is full of creatives, full of intelligence and full of, you know, leaders in, of the future, to be honest. Yeah. Also, on the flip side, is a very oldie worldy city with steeped in history um, and has everything that you'd expect from a city, you know, from culture to dining to just everything. I thoroughly enjoyed my three years there, that's for sure. I always think that Canterbury is a bit like a sort of theme park city in the sense that it's really, really small, but it has all the things you'd want in a city kind of thing. Absolutely. That's a brilliant way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, So final question. This is called the Proper Job Gradcast, right? And when I was trying to think of a name for the, for the, for the podcast, I thought, well you know, I want graduate in there because that's part of the concept. I would change it to gradcast. And then the proper job bit comes from the fact that I've noticed that when drama students talk amongst themselves, they often joke along the lines of, oh, we'll never get a proper job. We'll be working, stacking shelves in Sainsbury's and things. Which is actually not true. You know, if you look at the stats, uh, people go into all kinds of interesting jobs. And, you know, a number of people like you go into creative jobs or jobs with creativity involved in it. So my question is, what would you say to people who say that, doing a drama degree won't lead to a proper job. They're completely wrong. <laughs> I, On a weekly basis, I come across someone who is a Kent grad um, of drama. And you, I mean, I think the, I, I'm based in London, but the majority of the West End seems to have someone who in their company or team that is from Kent, whether it's a, a BA honours or an MA or anything, they've, they've been to Kent at some point, one of them. I work with 
a multitude, as, as I was saying about Doctor Who, my main contact there is from Kent University and she graduated the year after me. You know, there you absolutely will find a job in a creative element. You might not be on stage and, and in the limelight, but you, you're certainly, you know, instrumental to that that show or that play or that production taking place because of because of your skills that you've learned from uni, definitely. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, uh, of course, we also have students who go, or graduates who go into all kinds of, like, non-creative jobs as well, because actually all that teamwork stuff can 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 be really good. And all, you know, research skills and IT skills and, you know, project managing skills and all those kind of things. Absolutely. Um, and especially, you know, being able to communicate, because you, you've got to in a theatre capacity you know the idea is that you were telling stories and that's what you have to do in your day-to-day -day life and I think that yeah that's a completely transferable skill for any job to be able to you know speak to a manager or speak to an assistant <laughs> or speak yeah. to a client yeah absolutely there's definitely a great end edit point in what you just said it was really good so that was Ben Haig there and I, I totally enjoyed talking to him uh, I thought that what he had to say about his path from graduating to now was really interesting I love the fact that he talks about it being lucky because surely that's not luck that's that's his ability in his work and also our old friend networking rears its head because networking was related for him anyway to anything from you know an opportunity to do an internship um or placement or whatever, uh, to somewhere to live. You know, he's found that through some someone he knows. I, I love the way he talks about, you know, the how prevalent Kent drama grads are in the business. But also, aside from all of that, I really found it interesting and enlightening how theatre shows are marketed today. Uh, I love the idea that you've got to create visual images for a show that doesn't even exist yet to make the world before you even get into the theatre, as Ben described it. And uh, some fascinating stuff about Facebook and, you know, each Facebook profile has 70,000 data points on you. Slightly scary, but then obviously if, if you're using that to sell theatre as opposed to undermine democracy, then that's okay. I love how positive it is in terms of he lost his job because of company he worked for closed due to covid but sure enough before very long he's working for another job you know another company because he happens to have worked for them before worked with them before rather and again that comes back to networking as he says you know networking isn't pestering people and you know making a nuisance of yourself because that will only make people not want to work with you it's about thinking about who you know what they do how you could help them and how they could help you. It's really about understanding your place in the social world and thinking how that relates to your position in the workplace, I suppose, and in, in, in the marketplace for finding work. So thanks again to Ben for talking to me. And I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed talking to him. That sounds like a bit of a cliche, but I think I can get away with it. So that is it for for today's episode. I'd like to uh, finish then just by saying thanks to you for listening and I'll see you next time for another episode of the Proper Job Gradcast. Got to, got to get a proper job. <laughs>